0: Hey, I'm, I'm excited. We're gonna start a new series today called Legendary Friends. I don't know if you know this, uh, but Jesus had, had some friends, and we have friends in here. Like, we're all excited. Uh, it's good to catch up with people. You, you show up Sunday, and sometimes it's like a family reunion, right? Uh, Jesus had some legendary friends all throughout Scripture uh, in the New Testament, uh, the Gospels. Uh, you know that he's friends with Peter. You know that he's friends with John. Those are his disciples. He spent a lot of time with them. But there are these three people that come up all the time, Martha, or not all the time, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, that when Jesus gets with them, it is like uh, it's like they've known each other for a while. They're just really close friends is what the appearance looks like in Scripture. So we're going to have a three-week series looking at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus together. And I just want to ask, like, do you have any friendships that are just like, they, they have some epic level stories, like legendary type stories in them. I'm talking about the kind of friend that you haven't seen in a while, maybe, uh, maybe it's been like a year. But as soon as you get together, and it, like the the monopoly board comes out or something, uh, immediately like the stories of last time just pick up. Like you've just picked up the conversation right where it left off. I, I, I hope you have a friend or two like that. Uh, may, maybe you have a friend that every time someone mentions their name, you immediately say, "Oh, I know so and so. Let me tell you what." We we did when we were in high school, and you tell like these crazy stories, it's the same story you told last time someone mentioned his name, right, Uh, be careful sharing those stories, some of them are, you know, like, they may be illegal, I don't know, Uh, I had a friend uh, in in, uh, high school, his name's Dustin. Some of you may know Dustin. Uh, He was the best man at my wedding, and inexplicably, for no reason, uh, he shows up to my wedding with a mohawk. He never had a mohawk in his life, uh, but he shows up to my wedding with a, and and he didn't even get a haircut for a mohawk. Like, it is a long, like, 10, 12-inch mohawk on top of his head. It's in all my wedding pictures. If I I thought about it, I would have had them up on the screen for you to see. Uh, A year or two later, I'm the best man at his wedding, and to return the favor, I dressed up as Kip... uh, Dynamite. I don't know. Napoleon Dynamite's brother Kip. Uh, I did a great job at being Kip. I didn't just dress like him. I pretended to be him so much so that the other bridesmaids are like, "Is he? Is he always like that?" That was a, a frequent question that that came out. When Dustin and I were in high school, I got a new car. Awesome car, uh, Ford Escort ZX2. I mean, vroom vroom, right? This was, this was a good car. And, and my, like, it had a spoiler, which was pretty cool, but what it was really great and what I was so excited about for reasons I don't understand is that in the trunk, there was a glow in the dark handle that you could pull it as a release to let the trunk out. And I thought, this is genius. Like, you could store people in the trunk and just drive around. And so in high school, I'm explaining to Dustin this new feature of my new car that I'm most proud of. Uh, and, and I, I convinced Dustin to get into the trunk of the car. And he gets in, I close the lid and you know, it works. Like he got in and he pulled the glow in the dark handle and he got out. It's like, that was great. I said, you know what we should do? We should drive around the block now. And so he hops in my trunk, and, and I drive around the block. And when I make it around the block, between me leaving and me arriving, a door-to-door like steak salesman has come to his house. Uh, and I get out, and there's nobody there. And he says, "Hey, man, I'm I'm looking for you know who lives here. I'd like to I'd like to sell some steaks." And I was like, "Great, let me get Dustin." Dustin, and then like the trunk just like opens up, and he comes out. And he's like, "Yeah, you, you got something." And uh, he didn't say a word. Uh, the steak man just gets in his car and leaves. He doesn't he doesn't say anything. <laughs> he he just he just leaves uh another another story with Dustin uh we are uh, like goofing around like throwing like knives at trees and stuff and and we're trying to get this machete to stick and he had like a wood arch over his driveway right and so these are just 16, 17 year old guys just doing what 16, 17 year old guys go. Like, I know it's 20 feet in the air, but we're going to get this machete to, to stick, right? And so, so I took a couple of turns. I couldn't get it to stick. He's taking some turns. And while he's taking some turns, I'm bored. And so I find a toe chain with some hooks. And I'm like doing this, like, whoo, like thing like this. And, and I'm, I'm doing like ninja moves. He's throwing a machete in the front yard. And I'm looking this way. And two of the hooks hit each other. And one swings behind and it hits me right in the back of the head. And it hurt like you wouldn't believe. I'm, I'm like down and I'm holding my ear. Dustin he's caught the machete he's like are you okay and the postman drives by and i'm holding my ear because i've hurt myself and he's shaking a machete at me are you okay i don't know what he told his boss when he got he got there the the truth is is that like as far as like legendary friends go it, like if you get with those friends you just tell the same stories over and over. I don't know how many times Dustin and I will sit and tell the machete story, right? It's just over and over and over again. And I, I hope that you have some really close friendships. I want to look at some close friendships of Jesus here, and, and maybe we can pull out of that some interesting things about when you get close enough to Jesus where you, have, where you have built a history with him and you've walked with him for a while, like you start to repeat some of the same motions, and not in the not in the robotic religious sense, but in the rich, like, I just got to get back to that story. Like, that was an amazing moment in my life. Uh, If you do have a legendary friend, I just want you to know, in in, uh, honor of the name of the series, Legendary Friends, and in honor of someone recently opening up a cafe in Nederland called Legendary Gelato. Uh, we're giving away free gelato. And so if you have a legendary friend, the way you could potentially win some free gelato is uh, you can fill out a slip at the welcome booth or in the foyer, or one of those two places, and put it in a box. And every Monday, we're going to draw a name. So if you're here next week, you get another chance to win. But you have to write down your name and the name of your legendary friend that you're going to take to gelato. And you're going to make an awesome story. And someone's going to get hit in the head and there's going to be a machete and it's going to be beautiful. You you bring it back to church and we'll talk about it. If you have your Bible, I'm going to be in Luke Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, Jesus, um, oh, I mean, it's in the middle of Luke, so you know Jesus has been meeting people and doing things, as, as you probably know from the Gospels, and uh, these, we're going to meet uh, Mary. And Martha for the first time. We're not going to meet their brother Lazarus today. We'll meet him next week. But Mary and Martha are sisters, uh, and and their brother Lazarus, and they live in a city called Bethany. Uh, just to set this up real quick, so that you can, uh, just the three nerds and me, can like understand how the map is. Uh, Jerusalem is like on a mountain. Uh, it's where it's where a lot of uh, it's where the temple is. It's where a lot of the gospel action happens. Uh, but if you want to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, if you just went straight north, which is the direction that it would be, uh, you would have to pass through Samaria. And the Jews at the time just did not like going through Samaria. They didn't want to touch the dirt. Something they, like everything about it made them feel unclean. And so the way that they would get from uh, the south to the north is that they would cross the Jordan River to the uh, to the right. That's the east. So they would go due east, cross the Jordan River, go up, skip Samaria, and then come back into the north side of Galilee. If you go due east out of Jerusalem, about two miles off, just within eyesight of the temple, is the city of Bethany. Bethany, uh, the word Bethany means uh like poorhouse or almshouse. Uh so it's believed that it was just a, a place for a lot of uh low-income, uh maybe, maybe homeless uh community would live there. Uh Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you can tell by the funeral that Lazarus later has, that they're a wealthy family and they live in this, this city and they're they're serving people. There's a there's a man that we won't meet there, his name is Simon the Leper, that Jesus heals. So there's lepers who are hanging out in the poorhouse. And the point is this, um, Bethany, for whatever reason, is a very common conduit to get from the south to the north. And Jesus traveled from Jerusalem to Galilee quite a bit. Most of his teaching was in Galilee and Capernaum. And so and so. what we infer from that is he passed through Bethany a lot, except for the time that he went through Samaria and met the woman at the well. He just passed through Bethany a lot. And it looks like, you know, do you have a friend that every time you travel to a city and you find out like you're close to each other, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm in Lufkin today. You, you, you want to go grab a bite or something? It, it seems to me that maybe their friendship is like this. And so we're going to see what may be the first time they meet each other, uh, Jesus meeting Mary and Martha, starting in chapter 10, verse 38. If, if it's not the first time, it's an early time. We'll, we'll say that. So it says uh, in verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now uh, we know because it's going to be Mary and Martha and it's their house, we know that it's Bethany from elsewhere in the gospel. So I'm telling you that this village is Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now this is this is a great image. I, I don't know if you have siblings, uh, but but this is classic sibling rivalry stuff. Completely different people, Mary and Martha. There's there, there's a lot going on. Jesus is um, either just uh, at, at this point he may or may not be a close friend, but he's certainly a well known teacher in the area. His ministry is already unfolded, and so they they know each other. And to invite a rabbi to invite Jesus into a home is a moment of like we got to show this guy some honor. Like this is just what you do. It's like if you invited the senator to your house. Or, I don't know, like, if anybody's invited a senator to your house. The mayor, maybe. Uh, this is someone like you, you, are like, hey, let's make sure we, we pick up. Uh, let's make sure that we, we don't leave the clothes on the couch and we're gonna fold them, we're gonna put them away. We're gonna make sure that the house is presentable. We're gonna make sure that everything is going great. And the, the image that Luke gives us, the author gives us here is that, that Martha has invited Jesus to the house and has probably invited her sister Mary's like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna host for Jesus. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a, a time with Jesus. And Mary, what she does, you you saw, she just goes and sits at Jesus' feet and is just like, this is amazing. This is Jesus. We get to hear what he has to say and get to listen to him. But Martha is is busy. Martha, uh, she wants to provide for Jesus. She wants to make sure that everything about the meal is perfect. She wants to make sure everything about the house is perfect. And the more she works, the more frustrated she gets at who? Not Jesus, right? Jesus is just doing what he's supposed to do. He's teaching. Uh, he's getting. She's getting more and more frustrated with Mary. Have you, have you ever been in a situation where um, the, the, you're working your tail off, right? And your coworker or someone, like maybe it's a family member, uh, is not working their tail off? Doesn't that become immediately obvious to you, right? You you are so aware of how much effort you're putting in and how much you're bringing to the table, as opposed to how little they are bringing to the table. That that it's it's almost cartoonish. Like you need to, maybe you feel like you need to say something, right? Maybe you feel like. I I wonder what kind of looks she was giving Mary. Because you know, like the first thing she did was not just go straight to Jesus, like at the first moment of offense. She's over here, she's cleaning the dishes or something. She looks over there, she's like, and she just kind of gave Mary like a little grunt, a little, sorry that Mary's always on this side. I'm being mean to you guys. So now Martha's over here, and and Mary's on this side of the room, and she's just like, while Jesus is talking. Like she's behind Jesus and she's like signaling out. Uh, Who knows? Who knows how she signaled or or what kind of stress was there. Um, But she she just goes to Jesus. At the the end of 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has let me serve alone? You know, an interesting thing about uh, when we feel slighted, uh, and we're going to unpack this a lot more here in a second, but when we feel slighted, we immediately like... uh, Lord, don't, don't you even care? Well, maybe maybe it turns out Jesus did care. Maybe Jesus was aware and was just waiting for the question. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus would have responded differently if uh, she said, Lord, what what should I be doing right now? Because, because Mary's sitting at your feet, and I feel like there's a lot of work to be done. What is the right answer? But she, she goes full on, like, hostile, right? Lord, do you even care that I'm out here, I'm working, and Mary's not doing anything? She's just sitting at your feet, that lazy little bum. Uh, I, that's in the Greek, I'm sure. Uh, I added some of that. Tell her then to help me, verse forty-one. But the Lord answered her. You know, this is this is what Jesus does. and Most of you know the story, uh, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I, w- I wonder how long that took to get to that point, because you know it wasn't just like right. Jesus sat down, then they had an argument. Right? Has he been talking thirty minutes? Has he been talking an hour, the frustrations building up, building up. She's so sure of her rightness, Martha is, that she looks at Jesus and she, and she says, do you even care that, that she's ignoring this moment? And when she finally gets the, the chance to say something, knowing that Jesus is going to be on her side, Jesus isn't. Jesus says, no, Martha, only one thing is necessary, and Mary chose it. This, this, is, this is the one thing. I wanna I wanna ask if if we have that level of clarity just in our own walk, in our own marriages, in our own workplace, where do we add onto ourselves um, more than what should be there, or do we understand the one thing that is necessary? What, what, if, what if you had your priorities exactly right uh, in your walk with the Lord, in, in, with your family, with your kids, to where it's not this overwhelming sense of duty, and I have all of these things I need to do, and I'm going on this trip, and it's my job to get the passports ready. It's my job to get the, the gas in the truck. It's my job to make sure the itinerary is planned. What, what, if, what if you had the priorities in the right level, and you just knew, like I know the one thing I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. Mary knew, apparently, or in, in, in I don't know, instinctively knew, this is the one thing I'm supposed to do, and she did it. And when when called out between the one thing that she's supposed to do and the busyness that Martha added to herself, when it was called to Jesus' attention, Jesus pointed at the one thing and said, it's the one thing that you should do. Uh, when When Jesus responded to her, He said, "He said, Mary, or excuse me, Martha, you are anxious and troubled." Now, now, those those two words uh, they 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 go hand in hand. Um, For for my nerds in here, hike your glasses up. I want to look at a little bit of Greek. Okay, yes, some some Greek time. The word anxious in Greek is maremnao, marimnao. I can't pronounce it but I can spell it Marim Nio. Uh it also looks like oddly enough I can't I can't find anybody talking about this but this is very close to the Greek word for Mary. Uh and so it's interesting that that Martha is acting Marim Nio instead of Mary but uh, anxious is Marim Nio and uh the the imagery uh is that you're being drawn in opposite directions. Your your attention is divided into parts. Uh how many of us walk on kind of that's a daily description of our life. That you, you, you wake up in the morning and your attention isn't, I, I know what I'm supposed to do today and you're just laser focused. Your attention is, I'm divided into many parts. I'm being pulled in opposite directions. It causes—I uh, mean, the the English word for it is it causes anxiety. So it's a good translation. It causes it causes our hearts to flutter. It causes extra stress. It causes it causes strife in our world. It it causes disunity between us and other people who don't understand. Don't you know I'm being divided into different directions? I'm being pulled in in these different ways. Jesus uh, uses the same word "maremnaio" when he talks about anxiety and worry in Matthew six. I want to look at that real quick. If you, if you want to hold your finger in Luke, we'll be back to it. Matthew 6 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and here's what he says about worry. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Nio, uh, 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 that, that worry. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's like, look around. like The, the bird isn't stressed out, and, and the flowers aren't stressed out about what they're going to wear, but your Father is taking care of them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, which of you, by being marim can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Faith. He says he says our anxiety, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is like your anxiety is pointing to the fact that that we, we don't have faith that God is going to accomplish these things. We're being torn in all these different parts and all these different directions because in some ways we believe that all these different things are up to us to complete. And Jesus says if if you would be honest about it and realize they're not up to you to complete. The Lord is the one who's responsible for it. And if you give to the Lord, what is his to be in control of, to be responsible for, then our anxieties should be reduced. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He says, does does God know what you need? Because if if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, um, our anxieties... Our, our tendency to be pulled in multiple directions and distracted may actually be rooted in, I don't think God knows what I need. Or it may be rooted in, I don't think God has the ability to give me what I need. But as, as we have a, a bigger view of who God is, uh, then we can trust him with these things and our anxieties would, would reduce. But verse 33 says, "...but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness." and all these things will be added to you. Wacey preached a great sermon on that just a few weeks ago. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus even warns us not to borrow from tomorrow stresses that have nothing to do with today. Sufficient for today are the things that you are called to. And Martha, she's working. She's she's trying to get this house ready because, because Jesus means something to her. Right? She's not just putting on a show for the sake of a show. She's not putting on a show for other people nearby. She's wanting to do a good thing for, in the privacy of her home, for Jesus and the, the, the people that are, are gathered there. She's not, she's not doing this for her own pat on the back, but she thinks that Jesus needs that. She thinks that deep down, Jesus really wants the extra honor, the extra work, the extra thing. And when she asks Jesus, like, hey, do you even care that, that I'm doing this and she's not? Jesus' response is, you're, you're anxious. (laughs) and you're troubled about many things he said he said anxious which is marimnaio uh and then the word troubled is uh help me out here thorubeo Thorubeo. thorubeo and it means i love this uh i didn't i didn't catch this in the english it means noisy disorder or commotion okay so now now we have a little bit of extra flavor on what martha was doing as she was putting on a good scene for mary like some of that signaling was a noisy disorder and commotion Right? Oh, let me go get Jesus a glass for his water. I'm gonna go get it. Mary you gonna help? Mary just doesn't do anything, doesn't even look at her, just just sits down and she opens and rattles the glass and she slams that cabinet. And the whole room's gonna be like, oh, is Martha okay? And Jesus is like, Well, she's Thorubeo, uh, yeah. th- 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 Thorubeo. <laughs> Jesus was much better at speaking Greek than me. Uh, Thorubeo, she's just noisily carrying on. We, we we do need to be careful, and it, it is an indication of our heart's uh, poison when our internal dialogue becomes external action. When we're becoming so irritated and so frustrated that we need you to know, I need you to see how hard I'm working, uh, just to prove how worthy I am, or something, and I start to put on a little bit extra noise, a little bit extra show. Um, I'm I'm doing to me what the Lord has never asked me to do. Uh, a few years ago, this is actually several years ago, is that when the men's ministry of Carpenter's Way was first getting started. Uh, I live in county, and so it's nothing for me to have a bonfire. Like like people in my neighborhood burn stuff. Just like there's a guy down the street from me. I don't know why that's popped in my head. He burns mattresses in the ditch. Like. <laughs> like once a year, there's just a whole mattress being burned in the ditch. And so like for us to have a bonfire is nothing. And so we had a men's ministry event at my house, right? And so I'm at my house and uh, I've got the bonfire stuff ready and there's like food and the, the pit, the propane won't work. And I, I'm getting more and more frustrated, but I, I don't, I want everybody else to have a good time. Right. And so I'm marching through my house. I'm rushing. I'm getting like, I'm getting the, the dishes out and I'm, I'm doing this. And like three people, independently of each other, like, hey, Jesse, are you, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Mind your business, you know? And and after the third time, I'm like, why? You don't look okay, man. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, you're just rushing around. Like, we're just, it's cool if the propane doesn't work. It's cool if the fire doesn't take off. Like, we're just, like, all the guys were just outside playing washers. And in my head, I had it that that this entire event is up to me. I've got to get it done or else I've let God and the people down. And neither God nor the people cared. <laughs> It was just like, come sit on the porch and fight the mosquitoes with us. It's, it's okay. But we have, we have a tendency to be both anxious, which is divided. And our focus isn't laser focus. It's on all the things, and it's overwhelming us because you were never designed to be in control of all the things. Um, and we have, a, we have a tendency that when we get to that point, then we become noisy and thoroughbio. We, we cause commotion. We try to put on a, a little bit of a show because, after all, like, don't you know like, how hard we're working to make God happy and to make other people happy? We, we need to be careful that we only focus on the one thing. When Jesus said, there's only one thing that is required of you, Martha, what he's saying, in, in essence, is, is that Martha's to-do list for God was greater than God's to-do list for Martha. And I wonder how many times we do that to ourselves. I wonder how many times we, we, we take on ourselves duties, responsibilities, and actions, and we say, God needs this, or the people need this. But we never stop to ask, hey, God, do you want me to do these things? When we take on more than what is ours to take on, we only invite, not, not success, we invite extra anxiety, we invite extra trouble, we invite extra frustration. Martha's to-do list for God had grown greater than God's to-do list for Martha. And and we we need to be careful also that our working for God doesn't interfere with us just being with God. Mary just sat at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, that's a better spot, really. I'm only here temporarily. He would say multiple times through the gospels, I, I'm only here for a season. He'll say later, the poor will be with you forever. I'm only here. Like, it's okay. Like, yes, there's work to be done. But a lot of times what Jesus wants for you and I is that we just sit at his feet. And let me, let me be just a little extra transparent more than normal. Um, this is a great message for really any person who's wanting to follow Jesus. This is 10 times more important for anybody who volunteers in a church or is on staff at a church or has worked in any kind of church work ever because the temptation to work through exhaustion to serve God when God is just like, I didn't ask you to do that. I didn't ask you to sacrifice your family for your job here. I didn't ask you to work 12 hours a week, or that's not a lot, 12 hours a day. Wow. Wow. I'm really focused on the rest of the Lord today. Uh, I didn't ask you to work 12 hours a day. That's not the altar I asked. What what I have asked you to do, will cause you sacrifice, Jesse, or staff member or volunteer. It will cause you some sacrifice, but you're choosing a different sacrifice than what I've called for you. When when our to-do list outpaces God's to-do list for us, we're in dangerous territory because then and then uh, our work becomes the substitute for our relationship with God. We're going to impress him with how hard we work. This is why uh, I don't know if you know this but this is why every volunteer at Carpenter's Way uh is basically uh, uh fired. Uh there's got to be a nicer word than that. Uh in May of the year. Uh our our working policy as as in uh, there's some nuance to it but our working policy is we will recruit and ask if you're going to volunteer in the children's area, you're going to volunteer in the youth department, if you're going to volunteer, I don't know, shoot, the the coffee team, whatever areas that we have for volunteer and and you put in 12 months. In May, we're going to say, you did a great job. And if you need a season of rest, you take your season of rest. But we'd like to try to recruit you again. And we we make it another recruitment effort. Because why? Because as you walk through life, you, you realize there are seasons where we've done exactly what Martha did. We put more on our to-do list than what God put on our to-do list, but we're stuck. I've signed up for these four things. And if I get out now, I'm going to let these people down. And no, no, I might let God down. And God's just sitting there. He's like, no, I just... I ask you to focus on the one thing, man. And so, and so, just kind of our working policy is that we will be recruiting all of our volunteers every twelve months, and, and the purpose of that is so that we don't get into this trap that Martha was in. So here, here's what I want to do in our last uh, ten minutes together is I, I want to I, I want to just say the, the the plain thing, and then I want to try to I want to I just want to try to unpack how uh, Jesus' phrase to Martha is. Uh, Mary has chosen the good portion. Only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. And so, just plainly stated, um, you are called to sit at the feet of Jesus more than you are to work for Jesus. And there will be times when we're like, okay, now get up and go do that hard thing. And it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take work. There's going to be tears and grit. But you should have a reservoir of rest because the Lord is the one who gives the rest. He he leads you to to, to green pastures. He, lay, he makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you to still waters. Like He's a Lord that as you're following him, you go do a hard thing and then you find rest. But if if we're focused on the one thing that's right where we should be, we should be more like Mary, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now that sounds really good from the stage, right? Yes. Some of you should be like, right now, I'm ready. I want to sit more at the feet of Jesus because I've been working to exhaustion. And I don't even know what my relationship with him is like because I've been too busy just trying to impress all the people around me and all of these things. Yes, I want to focus on the one thing. And I can say amen and we can move on. But like, how? How, how will you do that? Beginning today, how will you do that? You know, most of us, we want to do good things for the Lord, but then we've not been taught. We've not been discipled in how to do that. Uh, I don't think it's an accident that as Luke is, is laying this out, for us, it's a chapter break. We just finished chapter 10. We're going to start chapter 11. When Luke wrote it, he didn't say, I need to start a new chapter. Like the chapters we added later, years later. Um, he immediately goes from the story of Martha and Mary. Where Martha's busy and anxious and troubled over many things, but Mary chooses the one, chooses the one thing and is praised for it. He immediately goes from that. You can see it at the beginning of chapter eleven to the Lord's prayer. It goes from here to here. I think the Lord's prayer is is a a a, a pattern. Uh, it is a template that you can apply to your life uh, to sit at the feet of Jesus. You, you you don't need to go i i hope you you do join a community group you don't need to go to a community group to sit at the feet of jesus i hope that you do you know read your bible more because i think there's a lot of truth there but you really don't need to read your bible a ton to just sit at the feet of jesus this is one way uh you you don't need to turn on worship music i hope that you do listen to more worship music uh in your life and that it creates worship in you but that's not how you sit at the feet of jesus there's really only one way it's to commune with him we call it pray and so for some of us like praying is Terrifying For some of us, praying is like, I don't even know what to say. Some of us, we're sitting in a room, like just this week, we're sitting in a room and we're staring at the ceiling and we're just like, I guess I'll talk to you, God, and I don't even know if you're there. And it just feels like it's bouncing off the ceiling. What, what if there was a good pattern, a good template for how to pray well? Chapter 11, starting in verse 2, uh, this is the, Luke's condensed version of the Lord's Prayer. He says, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. That's a, that's a pretty good summary. Uh, my guess is that Jesus repeated, quote unquote, what we call the Lord's Prayer multiple times. Luke is recording one and Matthew recorded it because this one is in Bethany. Uh, and Matthew records it in Capernaum uh, in the Sermon on the Mountain. So I think Jesus just repeated himself like a good preacher would. Um, I, I want to look at the ingredients of this Lord's Prayer in Luke. And I just want to ask you to kind of consider that as as your starting point for uh sitting at the feet of jesus making it a principle making it a habit making it a practice of sitting at the feet of jesus he begins with uh father and he says says father we're, we're addressing father not not supernatural god of the universe he is the supernatural god of the universe but that's so ambiguous like he, when we say father we're talking about someone who who loves you like a, a good earthly father would love you you're, you're talking to your heavenly father you're not, you're not talking to a God that you're trying to impress. You're not talking to a God who's somehow grossly disappointed in you like maybe your earthly father is. You're talking to uh, a God who uh, the cross has already handled all of the payment for our sins. He's, he's, as, far as, as far as anger or, or uh, um, judgment is concerned, the cross has handled that. All that's left is for us who are children of God, followers of Jesus, to start and like, Father, you, you have nothing to prove to your Heavenly Father. He knows, He knew you before you were born. He knows you. He knows the, the path, what you're gonna, how you're gonna die. There's nothing about your life that is surprising to Him. And so you have nothing to prove to Him. And most of us end up in Martha territory trying to work to what? to prove to God that I'm worthy of this experience that we call life. And God, all the while, is like, you would never, one, be able to prove it to me. And two, I've already satisfied that on the cross of Jesus. Just come to me. It's already taken care of. Father. The next thing it says is, hallowed be your name. That word hallow means holy or set apart. Now, now this, this is important to note, especially if you have a dysfunctional relationship with your earthly dad. Your heavenly father is set apart from this world. He is something different, okay? Uh, he is hallowed. He is holy. He is, he is good. He is, he is perfect. He is the creator of this universe. When you breathe in, just take one deep breath real quick. He named every molecule of air that just went into your lungs. He knew it was coming your way. Like he, every hair on your head is numbered and maybe a little subtraction is happening recently in recent years. I understand. It's all a whole like math problem. For me, it's like division. It's, it's just going faster. He is absolutely perfect in every conceivable way and that is just his nature. His nature is like he's never confused. He's never overwhelmed. He's never been anxious one day in his entire existence, if that sentence even makes sense. Uh, he's never he's never torn in multiple directions. He can be asked, just earlier, just like 40 minutes ago, this entire room prayed together, and he heard all the prayers as clearly and articulately, articulated, I don't know, uh, as if you were standing at his feet. His ways are different than our ways, which is incredibly helpful uh, because my ways are really like me-centered and like I need I need to like take care of me. I need I need to, I need to, I need to focus. and his ways are like, I've got a better plan than that. Most of the time I spend my time trying to prove to God or like, I got a great idea. God, I'm going to do this. And God's like, yeah, my ways are different than your ways. I'm, I want you to do it this way instead. It says, uh, your kingdom come. You see, one of the beautiful things about that part of the prayer is that it admits that God is doing a work, not just in your family. You know, sometimes we think of our faith as just very individualistic or specific to us or specific to even our church. His kingdom is moving forward. That's why we pray for other churches. It's his kingdom moving forward. He He has a work and he, he is invading this broken world. And I, I don't know if, if you're coming to the same conclusion, but the, the, the broken glass of this world is getting sharper and more painful the older I get. I'm more... More aware of how dysfunctional our world is. And I just think, come on, God, invade the rest of this mess. Let's, let's, let's restore this. He's working on something new. It's different. It's better than what we have in this world. And, and it also admits when we say your kingdom come, it's saying, God, I don't want my kingdom to come. So we, our default, our default is that we want to build some kind of legacy about ourselves. Like I, I have my kingdom and I have my desires. But when we pray that God, I want. I want I have these things, and if if they're of you, that's great. I would like more of those, but I'm willing to give those up because I want your kingdom to come more than I want my kingdom to be established. Uh, and we we choose God's kingdom, and we, we push forward with that. The next, it says, give us each day our, our daily bread. This admits uh, several different things. One is that he knows what we need before we need it. And he is willing and able to supply us today, right now, what we need for today. Even if we can't collect today enough stuff to supply for tomorrow. Because tomorrow, what are you going to pray? God, give me, give me today what I need. Give, give me today out of your infinite supply of your goodness, the daily bread that I need for today. This prayer involves a level of faith and a level of trust. That even though I don't know what the step is a month from now, how I'm going to accomplish that or how that conversation is going to be held, I know that today you're calling me to take this one step. Give me today the courage to take this one step. And when I get there, I'm going to trust you're not going to leave me in the middle of this stream by myself. I'm going to trust that you're going to give me the next step and the next step because today I'm going to trust to give me today my daily bread. And then forgive us our sins. Well, this, is, this is incredibly helpful when we, when we try to prove, when we try to Martha our way to God and we're just proving to God, we're ignoring the fact that we have flaws and weaknesses. We're trying to overcome our flaws and our weaknesses. With, with the cross, Jesus has made this incredibly simple. We go to the Father and say, God, I've sinned. Here are my mistakes. Here are my flaws. Please forgive me of this. And the cross handles it. What this admits, uh, every, every time you pray this, what this admits is, um, I know I'm not perfect, but I trust the one who is. Give me today my daily bread. I trust that you will give me forgiveness and that you will give me the righteousness and just whatever little supply I need. And then, and then, what we end up seeing, and this is kind of a, a throwback to First John one nine, is that day by day, prayer by prayer, we're confessing sin by sin to God, and one by one, He is forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. John, First uh, John one nine, that that we're looking more like Jesus as a result, because when we bow our heads in the quietness of prayer, we're honest with our Creator, like you're perfect, but I'm not. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I made a commotion. I slammed that door on Mar- Martha Mary's hand. I, I didn't mean to. Uh, I hope she forgives me. But right now, uh, I want you to forgive me. How how should you forgive me? The next phrase is, "We forgive everyone indebted to us." It's an interesting word that Luke chooses when he brings up the word debt, because all forgiveness is about a ledger sheet. All forgiveness is about you owe me an apology. We even use the word owe when we talk about it. And when we say to God, I'm willing to forgive other people that are indebted to me, what we're saying to God is, God, I don't want to be a debt collector on this. I am sick of going around trying to bash someone in the knees or whatever debt collectors do uh, to try to get that forgiveness, try to prove to them that they owe me an apology. You know what? I'm sick of carrying that around. I'm asking you for forgiveness and I guess I need to maybe jump in. I'm going to forgive them. I don't care what they said about me, and if they say it about me again, I'm going to come to you again, and I'm going to say the same thing. That we're willing to just release this pressure. See, forgiveness isn't about saying what they did was okay. Forgiveness is about whatever they did, I'm not going to collect the debt on it. Sure, she cheated. Sure, he lied. Sure, they said this mean thing. I'm not saying any of those things are right or not even worth addressing. I'm saying I'm no longer trying to collect on the debt. I've given over to God. You walk freer when you do this. To, to, uh, last, last one, and it says, lead us not into temptation. That, that last phrase is packed with a ton of stuff. First, it says that I'm willing to be led. Uh, I wonder how many Christians are still willing to be led. There's a, there's a lot of Christians that they are so busy working, trying to lead themselves, uh, other people, that they forgot, like, we're following the king. One day I'm going to die uh, and, and hopefully it's a little while from now, but I'm going to die and God's going to raise up the next leader and it's it's going to be fine. Like he, he's going to continue his work because why it's not all about Jesse and it's not all about you. I, I'm willing to be led by the one who sees the end from the beginning and I'm going to trust you. Lead me wherever you want me to go, Lord. Lead me not into temptation is to say, I also know that I have some weak spots. Like I have this armor and it's really, really strong, but I got these two or three chinks in the army. Please don't lead me into areas where people see the chinks in my armor and they get hit. I wonder what David would have looked like if he if his prayer life was like because we just finished that series on David, if his prayer life is like, I'm really strong at killing giants, but if I see naked women, it it changes things. Please lead me not into this, right? I wonder I wonder if we'd have a completely different Second Samuel. I wonder. We, we would do well to sit at the feet of Jesus. I, I would invite you uh, just to draw a line in the sand and you make it a point to pray a, a certain number of times a day. I'm going to say two times a day. I'm just going to give you the challenge. Two times a day, five minutes max. You don't have to sit there for hours. Do you have 10 extra minutes in your day that, like, you know, you, you could sit and pray? And could you talk through some of the Lord's Prayer? It's only going to come from practice, okay? Mary knew how to sit at the feet of Jesus because she practiced it. She knew, she knew uh, what, that, that he had a good message and that it was good for her. And then it was reinforced when Jesus said to Martha, no, Mary chose the good thing. She, she knew what she was doing. I, I would invite you that you would focus this week on just the one thing that is required of you and that you would stop adding to your to-do list more than what God has put on your to-do list. You would just sit at his feet. And every now and then, he'll say, your daily bread is to go and tell Susie you're sorry, and it's going to be super hard, and you're going to cry, and I don't want to, but that's okay. Then you do those things. But our efforts should be free. They shouldn't be about us proving to God who we are and our value. In the story of Mary and Martha, the Lord's Prayer, and really Jesus, he makes that route possible. You don't have to prove anything to your God. You can rest on the cross, and you can grow in your uh, vibrancy uh, with with Jesus in closing, just one quick thing um, if you if you fast forward past Jesus uh, a few hundred years, uh, there's a ton of persecution on the church, but the church grows exponentially huge around uh four or five hundred years later the christianity becomes the national religion of rome and and people in christianity the in the church then sees this weird decline that everybody's a christian but nobody has a vibrancy of life and there's they're becoming more and more disconnected more and more confused and this movement happened where 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 people who wanted to have strong relationships with the Lord moved to the desert and started little communities. We call them the desert fathers, the desert mothers. This is like before the Roman and Greek Orthodox split. This is really old Christian stuff. And in the desert, uh, what they were trying to do is just have a vibrancy of sitting at the feet of Jesus so that it would fortify them for the mess that their community, the, the suburban community, had for them. You and I, we live in a suburban community with all the stresses, with all the pitfalls, with all the temptations, and just the mixed signals of like, here are the things you should be angry about. And these are the things that you really should be stressing out about. And, and we're invited instead to sit in this desolate, deserted place at the feet of Jesus to focus on the 10 things, no, just just the one thing. I would challenge you this week to download an app, maybe with some, like, I have a habits app in my in my phone, and I have prayer, AM, prayer, PM, and I just mark whether or not I did And it reminds me, like, hey, have you prayed today? Like, yeah, I'll do that. Maybe it's as, as simple as that. You're like, that doesn't sound spiritual. Trust me, okay? It's spiritual. Uh, sit at the feet of Jesus and make it a practice. If we can help, let me know. I'm going to pray, and then we will watch the cue together. Uh, Father, as we come to you uh, this morning... Uh, Lord, Lord, help us help us to see clearly the things that are distracting us. Help us to see clearly the the different directions we're being pulled, and stop with the lie that, that somehow we need to prove ourselves to you. Lord, uh, help us to focus on the one thing. I pray a blessing over the people of Carpenter's Way that that as this week moves forward, that that they would just have a laser focus on their relationship with Jesus. They would learn to sit at Your feet, um, and they would just grow in the same way that Mary grew. Uh, Lord, we love You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.